well, again, good morning. I'm so glad to see you. Thank you for being here. <clears throat> Thank you for making an effort to show up. Um, and it feels like when it's sunny and even if it's above freezing, it's like, should I go to church or not? You know, just like, should I go to the beach at this point? I don't think we're quite there, but it's really good. Hey, before we start, just turn to somebody near you and say, I'm ready to hear from God's word. Just make sure they're still awake through that video. Just turn to maybe a neighbor or you just lean over down the road and say, I'm ready to hear from God's word. So now that you are all awake and attentive, what I want to do is I want to, for the next couple minutes, I want to make an argument to you today that you were not expecting. I want to make a case to you today that when I say it, at first you may disagree. At first you may just decide, John, you're just you're wrong. Or you may even decide, man, that guy's out of touch with reality or the way the world actually works. Uh, and here's the argument I want to make to you today from the life of Joseph. Integrity matters more than authority. Integrity matters more than authority. See, if you look at the beginning of Joseph's life, Genesis 37, we started this last Sunday. Genesis 37, God gives Joseph a dream. A dream that is not only going to change kind of the course of his life, but it's also going to change Israel's future. God's chosen people, is going to, they're going to find themselves in some difficult situations in which Joseph's dreams coming true are going to be a part of their dream coming true as well. Now you fast forward, Genesis 37, the story goes, he has dreams, he tells his brothers, what does brothers do? They're like, we want to kill you. I don't know about your family, but that's kind of an odd setup to the beginning of your story. And that's Joseph's story. So he gets thrown in a pit and they decide we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't kill our 17-year-old brother. That's a bad idea. It doesn't look good on us. But They saw some slave traders came by. Like, if we sell him into slavery, he's going to go into some foreign nation. We're never going to hear from Joseph again. We're never going to have to hear these stupid dreams again. And that's what they do. They sell Joseph into the slave trade, and they hope that they're never going to hear from him again. He ends up in Egypt. And in Genesis 39, we pick up where Joseph is now. So if you have a Bible or a device, let's go there. Genesis 39, we're going to jump around, but we're going to start in verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, which this is a far foreign land from where he grew up. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So here's the scene. Joseph is a slave. No authority, no control, no power. He gets sent into Egyptian hands. And Potiphar, this kind of Egyptian official, is overseeing Joseph as a slave along with other slaves. But verse 2, something changes in the story. Listen to what the writer says. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. We're going to pause there. Do you see kind of the crazy twist in the story. I mean, Joseph is sent as a slave 
He's 17 years old. Maybe some time has passed, but he's he's not an adult yet. He's not kind of done a bunch of life at this point. He's young, and Potiphar is recognizing God is with him. The Egyptians didn't worship the God of Israel. They didn't acknowledge that that Yahweh, like Israel's God, was their God. They didn't recognize that. But but Joseph has some kind of favor and anointing on his life enough to where Potiphar says, "You can you can lead. You can run my house." You can take care of all my stuff. You can oversee kind of what I need to get done on a day-to-day basis. And Joseph becomes Potiphar's attendant or or kind of leader, second in command to Potiphar's house. Now, one of the reasons I point that out before we continue the story is that you need to catch something about Joseph's life. Very early on, Joseph was committed to integrity in private. And all integrity is, is kind of having a transparent life, who you are on the outside being who you are on the inside, right? We know kind of what integrity is. We seek to have it, I think, in our world. But Joseph was so committed to integrity in private, it actually resulted in in him gaining authority in public. Like Joseph was committed to protecting the dream God had over his life and and staying pure and staying true to to what he knew was right. And it ends up giving him authority in public, which would be great. I mean, if you just pause the story there, that's redemption, right? I mean, Joseph has a dream for his life. He was about to get killed, but God spared him through through a smart older brother. But then he gets sent into Egyptian slave traders' hands. And eventually he ends up in Egypt, this foreign nation, and rises to power. Now he's got authority in this kind of enemy nation's Enemy nations' courts and their government dealings and their military decisions. Like, if you stop the story there, that's pretty redemptive enough for me. Like, I'm good with that. But Joseph has one big problem. One problem that is keeping him potentially from living into that dream. Verse 7. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care, and he goes on. Do you see what just happened in this moment? I mean, that moment you just read, the moment you just captured, the kind of hinge point between is Joseph going to do it or not is essentially a compromising moment for his integrity should he choose to follow through. And here's the craziest part of the story. No one would have known. No one. Because Potiphar's not going to have, his wife's not going to roll over in bed and say, hey, you know that Hebrew slave that you bought actually slept with him. What do you think about that? Like, that, that's not a conversation. And Joseph, if he follows through, is certainly, as a Hebrew slave, not going to go up to his boss and be like, hey, you know that wife of yours? Yeah, we, like, slept together. What do you think about that? Like, that's not going to be a conversation. No one's going to know. The chances that Potiphar's wife has done this to other slaves and other people under her is pretty high. So this is, this is a repeated pattern. But by Joseph refusing her advance... He understood something. He demonstrates that he understood something we often miss, no matter how old you are, is that where we value authority, God values integrity. 
where we value having power, where we value having position and placement and status, God looks through the facade of that authority and, and seeks to find people with integrity. And here's why. Because the dreams God has for your life are won and lost in the battleground of integrity. The purpose and destiny God has in your life, they are not fought and won in the public sphere. They're not fought and won on a Sunday morning. They are fought and won in the secret place, in the private moments of your life, in the decisions you make to keep integrity that no one else sees. And Joseph understands this. Joseph gets this. I mean, you see this with multiple characters in the Bible. Moses is called by God to to set Israel's people free. He's set to, to get them out of 400 years of Egyptian slavery and harassment and persecution. And the way God does that is take him out to the desert, show him a bush that's on fire and say, hey, I know that you've got a bunch of issues, but I'm gonna use you. And Joseph, in this kind of obscure moment, ends up becoming a leader who God, who God has chosen to redeem his people and to free them from Egyptian captivity. You see this with Elijah, probably the greatest prophet in, in the Old Testament. This is, for the Jewish people, Elijah's way up there. I mean, he's not God, but he's close. Even in Elijah's story, we see him defeat kind of the enemies of God at Mount Carmel, and right afterwards finds himself in a cave alone, wondering, God, where are you? It's this kind of private moment he has, and God ends up moving through that and setting him on a new path. The Apostle Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament, right? This terrorist who's sent to kill Christians, who becomes a Christian, who God redeems and turns his life around and gives him a dream for the future that's totally different than one he had planned out. He gets saved, and then fast forward in the story, we find through other letters that for the next three, almost three and a half years, Paul is in Arabia, just like outside of the normal region that he grew up in, and he's studying God's word. And, and I can imagine, doesn't say this, but I can imagine in that time, Paul is building integrity and building into his relationship with the Lord. I just I imagine that's true. He's, built, he's investing in his integrity. You see this with Jesus too. Jesus had an incredibly powerful public ministry, right? He healed people. He, he did miracles. He changed people's lives. He he taught in a way that no one else had taught before. But you know the phrase that pops up in almost every single gospel story almost over and over and over again? Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place. Or Jesus often withdrew. Jesus finished the miracle, and then the disciples are like, wait, where did he go? <laughs> You're supposed to be leading us. Why are you just disappearing? Because Jesus was investing in his relationship in private with the Lord. He was a man, a God, full of integrity. And here's the problem, that you and I live in a world full of leaders who have authority yet lack integrity. Like, I can't be the only one who's been around some leader who has a position of power, and yet you would never want your kids to grow up like that person. Sure, they have, they have all the placement in the world. They've got status. They've got authority. They've got influence. But do you want your children to grow up like them? And you'd be like, heck no. Like, they don't have integrity. They're not transparent. They are not fully integrated people. And I've been around leaders like that too. 
Like early on, when, before I ever really took this job and thought about maybe I'll be a lead pastor someday, one of the things I just kind of said internally was, I do not want to be someone who is different on a Sunday morning than I am on a Monday morning. I just don't want to be that way. I would rather sacrifice having some authority and power, whatever that looks like in the church world, so that I could live a life that's marked by integrity. And that's not just a commitment I've made, but when Jesus looks at people, even in the gospel stories, when someone's interior life doesn't match their exterior one, you know what Jesus calls that person? He calls them a Pharisee. Pharisee was this religious elite, this group of people who believed that the interior life really didn't have to matter as much as long as the exteriors were right. They showed up to church, they tied 10%, their hands were raised during every worship song, they were singing as loud as they could, they were showing up every single weekend, but their hearts were far from the God they were worshiping. They didn't match, they lacked integrity. That's why Jesus, probably the most famous teaching he ever gives, is called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7, there's other places where you capture this, but there's some lines in there that, that hint at this argument that I'm trying to make to you. So Jesus would say things like, when you give, give in secret so that no one knows what you're doing. When you fast, when you stop eating for spiritual purposes, don't let everyone see how hungry you are. You know, right? So if anyone else get hangry in the room, am I the only one? Okay, perfect. Like right, right about now, I'm getting a little hangry, so you may need to help me out. Like, I'm getting a little hungry. I know lunch is coming. As soon as I get home, that's the first thing I'm doing. And Jesus says, don't let people know you're hungry. Don't let people know. Fast in secret. Thirdly, he says, pray in secret. Like, your relationship with God, which is really fueled by prayer at the end of the day, that thing should be done not showy. You don't get up on the stage and do it so everyone knows that you're a prayer warrior or you always respond to the prayer. Like, do that in secret. Why? Because God, where we value authority, values integrity. And you know how I know this? It's because I have a little daughter named Lennon, and she thinks that she can get away with everything. You know what I'm saying? Her version of hide and seek, yeah, I mean, she can at this point. Like, she's cute enough that I'll let it go. But in moments of strength where I really have to parent or do, do discipline as, as we're preparing for a second child now, knowing that she's going to follow Lennon's example, I've started to have to parent a little bit differently. And, and there was a couple Fridays ago, about maybe about a month or so ago, it was just her and I. Fridays typically are 1v1. It's Lennon versus dad. And we're just trying to make it through the day as best as we can and, and make sure that when mom shows back up, she's in one piece fed and happy. That's my goal. So Friday hits, it's like late morning, and typically during the weekend, we'll give her a little bit of screen time. I think we were watching something together. We're sitting there, and I notice that she gets up from the couch and kind of walks off, and she's old enough at this point, I think she was 16, 17 months old, where it's like, I'm not really thinking too much about it. Like, she's, she's okay. She's going to be fine. Like, she's probably not going to get that hurt. I'm glad some of you caught that. And so I hear her step into the hallway, and I hear her step kind of, I can tell, I think she's around, like, around the bathroom. And I notice all of a sudden, normally she's really talkative. She's babbling. She's saying things. She's throwing things. She's eating things. She's doing, like, she's a loud little person. But as soon as she stepped in the bathroom, it got totally quiet. Moms, is that a good thing or not? Yeah, exactly. 
So I hear she gets totally quiet, and immediately I, like, put down my phone or whatever's doing, turn off the TV, and I start to walk towards the bathroom, like, oh, no, what am I about to, what am I about to find? Well, she is faced away from me, like, spinning the toilet paper roll, you know, just, like, as much toilet paper as she could get onto the floor. That was her goal. So she's playing this game by herself, and I walk in. I say, Lennon, and she turns around, and she's like, oh, no, I've been caught. You know, like, that, that's exactly what she did. She was like, Shoot, I've been caught kind of in the act. Now, I know when Lennon's quiet in the bathroom, she's not praying in secret. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not, she's not doing anything spiritual. She's getting into trouble. And for me, I walked away from that. I was reflecting on this teaching and just thinking about the fact that that's how so many of us live our lives. Like, we do things we know are compromising in our integrity. We do things we know are not good for us. And we keep our back towards God, acting like those things don't matter. They're not in public. They're not hurting anybody else. But where we value authority, we value, value power, God does. He values integrity. Worship pastor Bob Coughlin puts it this way. If I gauge my maturity only by what I do when others can see me, I may be terribly deceived about my true state before God. So when Jesus says, give, fast, pray in secret, when Joseph decides to to make a decision that's probably going to cost him something dear, this is where integrity really begins to matter. See, Joseph, the story, we didn't read all this, but you can read all this. I mean, he basically says, like, I've been given this position of authority and influence. I'm not going to blow it just for this this relationship or this one night stand, no, like I, I'm playing a much more important game than Potiphar's wife. Some scholars would say that this kind of temptation went on for 11 years straight. Kind of care how strong you think you are as a man, like 11 years in a row, just constant, constant temptation. And Joseph is constantly saying, I'm not going to do that. You're not my wife. I'm not sleeping with you. I've got a role and responsibility. I've got a dream God has for my life. I'm not going to blow it by compromising my integrity. And I started to wonder, it begs the question, like, why don't we value integrity? And I was trying to think. I was like, you can't really do like a, a quick Google search and find a bunch of reasons. You just can't do that. So I started to look at my own life. I started to reflect and say, God, where am I often tempted to not value integrity? What are some some problems that I have when it comes to living that transparent life before others and before the Lord? And I came up with two big ones. The first is that I think we expect integrity in others, but do not apply it to ourselves. We expect our leaders, the people over us, we expect those in authority over us, to have integrity, maybe even like a spouse or even a friend. Doesn't it just have to be like a leader? But we expect others in our life to have perfect moral integrity, a perfect moral record. And then when we flip it on our own lives, we say, well, I have a struggle. Well, you just don't know the circumstance. Oh, well, you don't know the context of why I did that or how I said that or what that email actually said or whatever. And we we make excuses. Tons of excuses for it. We give ourselves loads of grace when it comes to these areas. I think we expect it of others, but we often don't apply it to ourselves. I'm guilty of that too. The second kind of learning that's just taken place in my own life is that 
real integrity takes time. It takes a lifetime to build up and, and to stack up and to layer when it comes to our relationship with God and other people. But we tend to, and at least in our culture, we tend to give authority away in a matter of minutes. Who cares if you have integrity or not? We're going to give you authority. That can happen in the moment that, like, take, for instance, we inaugurate presidents, and in the next moment, they immediately have authority for at least for the next four years over, like, the free world. It's incredible. Or CEO, as soon as they finalize and sign that contract, doesn't matter if they are the worst guy, worst girl in the world, they now have all the power. They have the authority. They have influence. They have decision-making weight. Like, they can, they can do things. And look at where Joseph's integrity lands him. So he eventually resists Potiphar's wife. He says, I'm not doing this so much so that he runs out with half his clothes on it. She's, like, grabbing onto him in this moment. And look what happens. This is in verse 19, Genesis 39, 19. When his master, this is Potiphar, the wife, the, the husband, rather, of the wife we just were talking about, heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. She falsely accuses Joseph of trying to take advantage of her and assault her. Verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. You know, it's funny because if you are in this story and you are Joseph, as soon as, as Potiphar's wife exits the scene, as soon as you book it out of there, and as soon as you start to hear the rumors of people saying, did you really do that with Potiphar's wife? Did you really try to, you know, get, get with her? And Like, did you do that? And as soon as Potiphar's wife begins spreading this slander, this not true story, Joseph's immediate next thought would be, I'm dead. Because in the ancient world, ancient Egypt, especially in his position, you try to seduce a government official's wife, do you think that's going to go well for you? You're not getting a promotion, that's for sure. But, but the, the execution would have been the next step in this legal process. And so Joseph, when he makes his decision to protect integrity at all costs, he is willing to give up his life to protect his integrity. He is willing to, to lay it all on the line because where we value authority, God actually values integrity. He carries this integrity in private. But Potiphar's wife, in contrast in this story, has all the authority and none of the integrity. She totally flips the equation. But God had a dream for Joseph's life. God had a dream for Joseph's life. Verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him not on the execution block. He puts him in prison, a political prison, actually, where the king's prisoners, is what the NIV says, were confined. This is not like prison prison. It's definitely not execution. This is like the Martha Stewart prison. You know, like with the heated toilet seats? Like that's kind of, I, I feel like I'm that old. Maybe I am. I don't know. felt like that was kind of a current example. So, but this is kind of like the, the encounter. This is kind of the moment for Joseph where he's probably like, I thought I was being led down hallway number one to my death, and he's taking me to like the nice prison. The, I get to live there. And what ends up happening is just like in the beginning of this chapter, it says, while Joseph was there in the prison, verse 21, the Lord was with him. 
The Lord is with him. He showed him kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge. Here's authority again of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Because, here it is again, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, I think about this, and one of the stories that for me is such a a reminder of how important integrity can be, how important living our life behind the scenes transparently to where we're the same person on and off the stage is. There's actually a story from like the 70s. So Eastern Airlines Flight 401. You've probably never, never heard of it. It was a commercial flight sent to bring a bunch of people who were headed from JFK Airport to Miami Airport. And they take off, and every, the drinks are flowing. Everything is great. They're getting closer to Miami. These people are going on vacation. These people are going to visit family. And, and the, one of the pilots notices that one of the instruments, kind of the, the uh, directional instruments, is a little bit off. It seems like the degrees are just a couple clicks off what they should be. And, and the flight is going well up until this point. I mean, he's kind of just like, it's not a big deal. He asks the co-pilot, hey, what do you think about this? Like, it's got to be, could just be an error with the dashboard or like the display that we're using. I said, oh, we should probably check it out. So they bring a couple other crew members in to say, hey, do you guys see this too? They're like, yeah. And all of them decide it's really not anything to worry about. They're 10, 15 minutes away from finally landing at Miami Airport. And they're starting, so they go through the procedure. They make the announcements to say, hey, just so you know, like we're about 10, 15 minutes. We've begun our descent. Like everything's going to be good. And they immediately, the pilot looks up and they find themselves nosediving rapidly into the Everglades swamp in Miami, right outside of Miami. This plane, Eastern Airlines Flight 401, ends up crashing 10 minutes away from their, their final destination. Now, over 100 people die, including those same pilots. So finally, the federal groups start to do reviews and try to figure out what happened here. And eventually, as they get behind the wheel of this this plane, they begin to kind of dissect the the wreckage. They find that those instruments were just a couple degrees off. And all of them, at some point, agreed that's not that big of a deal. And that's what those moments of compromise with integrity do to us. Just like Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Well, I can do this because it's not that big of a deal. As long as I still have this life in public, as long as people still see me powerful or important. But friends, I just know this to my core. And I know this because this has been in my life too. Like you can go to church, you can serve on a team, you can be the loudest singer in this room. But if you and I neglect intimacy with God in private, allowing him to forge our integrity spiritually, we have missed the point. We are just like those pilots saying, we're about about just about to get there. We don't need to worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. And integrity matters in those kind of five seconds between a temptation and actually sinning, right? That's that's what happens in Joseph's life. It's the moment when she says, come to bed with me, and he's just kind of like frozen in time. Like I... I could go there, but I know that's not God's best for me. You you may sit here today and say, I could click that, but I know it's it's not God's best for me. I could take this 
from the office. No one's going to know, but I know it's not God's best for me. I could stare at that person on that machine at the gym a little bit longer than I should, but I know this is not God's best for me. I could spend my money this way. I could buy that thing at the grocery store, that drink, that, that thing. But I know it's not God's best for me. And here's the crazy part about Joseph's story is that when you look at the life of Jesus and how connected their stories are, Jesus laid down his authority in an act of perfect integrity so that you and I could dream again. So that you and I could have a life marked by true integrity where our lives are clear and transparent before the Lord and before other people. I find it really, really interesting that about 30 years of Jesus' life are not recorded. He goes to the cross at age 33. What happens those other 30 years? I just have to believe that Jesus was spending decades building his integrity before the Father, building his life in a way that truly mattered, in a way that didn't compromise when it was really easy to do that. And honestly, you think about how do you take the next step with that? Like, how do you grow in that? Because the goal is not to, to leave this room and just say, I'm just going to try harder, be better. But there is a really simple step you can take today that will help you grow in this. And I guarantee it. And it's simple. It's to join a group. It's to get in a community of people. Maybe that's in this church. Maybe it's outside of it. Frankly, it doesn't totally matter. Like I've journeyed with some guys for the last decade and I can tell you my marriage, my family, my leadership, my private world is healthier because I've had them to call me out on stuff, to check me on things, to ask about, am I protecting God's dreams in my life? Am I having integrity? And you need people like that. We are not as strong as we think we are and that's okay. Joseph in this moment had built up a life of integrity that allowed him to say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And for the next 11 years said, no, 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 no. And friends, our world needs leaders and followers like that too. So you need to be in community. You need to walk with others. You need to be in a group and you can do that today. You can sign up, you can scan the QR code, whatever you need to do. But I wanna take a moment for us to pray because like I said, you and I cannot live the life God has called us to without his power, without his spirit, without his presence. So I want to take a moment just to pray for us before we sing and respond in worship. So would you join me? God, I pray right now. I just know there are people in this room who may be in right now situations, seasons of life in which giving in and compromising and forfeiting their integrity feels like the easy thing to do. And God, I thank you at the same time that you have set out a path for us that models what it is like to live holy, to live full of love for other people, to live lives of truth and justice, to live, to live lives that are just as beautiful on the outside as they are on the inside. And I pray, God, that you'd, you'd stir up that good work in our church, in our families, in our marriages, in our singleness, in our groups, in 
kids. God, I pray that you would help us to, to truly value the things that you do. And often it's not position because you chose to lay it down. Often it's not power. You chose to forego that so that you could reach us. It, it is things like integrity. It is things like protecting the dreams you have for our lives. It is surrender. It is weakness. And so we bring that to you, Holy Spirit, and ask that you continue that good work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.